You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, American Gospel. Scripture teaches that false prophets and teachers are like wolves in sheep's clothing. The real question is, how do we spot them? In today's teaching, we will be talking about how to know if we have fallen prey to a different gospel. Hey, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good to see you guys. Great to be here today with you. We are wrapping up the final week of American Gospel and uh, we're going to jump right into it this morning. Are you guys here? Are we awake? Are we, are we alert? Yeah? All right, good. 11 o'clock. Uh, good to see you guys. Hey, let's jump into 2 Timothy. This has been our core verse the entire time. A lot to cover today. Starting in verse 4, Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy. He says in, in verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And then in verse 2, if you jump back to verse 2 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, this young pastor, simply this, preach the word. That word is the written word, the logos for Greek. Uh, Just preach the word, Timothy. Man, Tim, if you're going to do anything, just preach the word. And then he goes on to state why it's so important. This entire month, we've been trying to talk through what it looks like to to preach an original gospel, a biblically-centered gospel. And we've broken up into different chunks, and basically we understand the gospel to be from Scripture, three components, right? That Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. That is the gospel. And, And I was just thinking about it because we have covered so much stuff over the last month. I don't know about you, it's definitely felt heavy to me. Uh, I've heard some of you say that your discussions in your Sea Life groups have been phenomenal, really good, and I'm happy about that. But more than anything, I'm really praying that God is working through his word in us and allowing us to become mature believers who can discern and recognize when what we are hearing is truth or not truth. I was thinking about just kind of a recap. We've talked about a lot. Um, first week, we talked about exegetical versus eisegetical versus narcissetical, right? This interpreting of Scripture. Exegetical being the fact that we interpret God's Word with God's Word. That's the way we want to read Scripture. That's we, the way that we want to digest and listen to Scripture. Uh, eisegetical would be that we read Scripture and we pull into it culture, uh, philosophical views, that we read into it the common themes or trends of the day, whatever's culturally relevant. You don't want to read scripture that way. You don't want a sermon taught to you that way because it's, uh, it's not right. There's also narcissetical, which seems to be growing in popularity. Narcissetical preaching is the fact that we insert ourselves into the text as the hero of the text. And so we talked about the fact like, I'm not Moses, you're not Moses, you know? The principle of, uh, of, of what's to be, the story of what's to be learned from the story, rather, of Moses and parting the Red Sea isn't that God will part the sea of my debt or part the sea of my inability to get a girlfriend, whatever it might be. That's when you're inserting yourself in the text, and that's, that's not accurate. That's not correct. We also talked about word of faith theology. Word of faith theology, or American gospel, prosperity gospel, puts forth this idea that God came, sent Jesus to us so that we might not be poor. The fact that Jesus died on the cross for us so that we could be healthy and wealthy and prosper and anything less is not God's best for your life. So we kind of put that to rest, I feel like, talked about that, with this idea that the reward of knowing Christ is not wealth, but the reward of knowing Christ is knowing Christ, amen? The reward of knowing Christ is Christ. 
Um, we talked then about the supremacy of Christ, with the supremacy of God, the fact that we are not God, nor are we anything really like him. We are created in his image, but not his divinity. We are not little gods. We cannot speak things into existence, no matter how, how, how wholeheartedly we believe them. Uh, God is the only creator. He is the only one who speaks, and galaxies and stars pour out of his mouth. We do not have that ability. In fact, we talked about the fact that that ability is predicated on the fact that Jesus Christ on the cross would have had to empty himself of his deity in order for that to be the case for us to be able to become little gods. But the fact of the matter is, because of the hypostatic union which states that God sent Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, on the cross, Jesus did not give up his deity. Amen, church? In fact, Here's why it's so relevant. We talked, I gotta be careful because this is, I'm not even in my sermon. Um, It's so important to understand that because of the imputed righteousness that we get from Jesus. The idea is that while Jesus was on the cross, he got my sins, I got his righteousness. So even though he never sinned, my sins were counted as his. And because he put them to bed, because he put them to death, they're no longer counted as over me. So now there is nothing more to be judged over me than the works I do for God. That's amazing. But it's not just that. It's the fact that Jesus Christ's righteousness is imputed over me. That's how I stand righteous before God. It's not that I don't sin. It's that I'm seen as justified, even though I'm not just. It's because I'm seen through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ. Even though I'm not good, I'm counted as good. Even though I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm counted as a saint. All that goes away if Jesus Christ were to empty himself out of his deity on the cross. So we are not willing to let that go, theologically or biblically. And then last week, we, we, finished, up, uh, well, we finished up last week talking about this idea of generous manipulation and this idea that you could manipulate God by a certain amount of money that you have. And in fact, we hear this taught all the time. If you want to see increase, if you want to see growth, if you want to see good things, you need to sow a seed of $1,000 or you need to sow into this ministry. And don't you know that the more you step out in faith and give, the more faithful God will, be, will give back to you. We talked about last week how God is not a prostitute. Let's just let that hang there for a second. What do you mean by that, Travis? Well, I mean this. God is not exchanging pleasure for money, which is what a prostitute does. You cannot buy the love of God. And you say, well, how much would it cost for me? You don't have enough money. The world does not have enough money to buy the love of God. It is a free gift. It is not earned. So none of us can boast about it. And so we give to God not because we want to get something in return, because we already got it and it was free. We give because he commands us to give. We give because we're obedient. We give because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so it's been a heavy series for sure. If you're joining us for the first time today, you're like, what am I? Where am I right now? Your church. Um, In fact, if this is your first time, I want to encourage you to take some notes. We have these things called sea life groups, small groups, covenant life groups. And we break up into those every single week. There's a, a magazine out underneath our white tent. I'd encourage you to grab one. If you're not involved in a Sea Life group, you're missing out. I mean, you're missing out on our church. That's what our church is, okay? We gather together on Sundays and we do this, but throughout the week, that's, that's where it is. That's where it's at. 
You're going to grow in your leadership and your relationship with people, your relationship with Christ. Discipleship takes place there for you, not only for you, but as an opportunity for you to disciple. And so we take notes. We're a church that worships in spirit and in, and in truth. So we're going to start off with some scripture. Got a lot to go through. I'm not going to slow down. If you miss something, don't ask me to go back. Just listen to our podcast. Okay? Yes? Are we ready? Here we go. Matthew chapter 7, starting on verse 13. Got a little bit of scripture. You say, man, I feel like you said all that there is to say. Well, let's, let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Enter by the narrow gate, he says in verse 13. Jesus says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Turn to your neighbor and say destruction. Jesus says the gate is wide. It's easy, to, it's easy to get there. Easy is the way that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. That word life there in Greek is zoe. That actually means eternal life. Jesus is saying it's hard it's, it's a difficult way to get to me. It's, it's, it's challenging, and those who find it are few. And then he goes in in verse 15, he says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I love his, his verbiage there, ravenous wolves. Not just wolves, ravenous wolves. He says, You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their what, church? By the fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, notice the anxiety level which with Jesus exclaims this next phrase, right? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many works in your name? Jesus said, and I will declare to them, what does he say? I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you, you workers of lawlessness. By the way, this, this, this passage is speaking directly within the vein of false prophets. So he's speaking about those who propagate a false gospel, are the ones who will stand before Jesus and say, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't I pray? And Jesus says, I don't know you. Understand the context of what we're saying here. There will be people who stand before you preaching a gospel that Jesus says, I will not know them. So this passage is for them, but this passage is also for us, those who follow them as well. This passage for those who propagate a false gospel and those who have followed them as well. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words, still Jesus now, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. By the way, in this context, we sang about it this morning, what is the, what is the rock that this house is built upon? We call it the cornerstone. Isaiah says it is the foundational cornerstone. Paul talks about the cornerstone. Who is this rock that we build all things on? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is talking about the gospel long before the disciples even know what he's talking about. And he's saying, I am the center of this gospel. Everything is about me. you got to understand, you build your life, your world around me. You hear these words, it would be wise of you to build your house on the rock. Why? Because when the rain falls and the floods come and the winds blow and beat on your house, it will not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock, on me. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, they're a fool. They will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You say, what's the sand represent? Anything but Christ. 
In fact, even an unbiblical understanding of Christ is sinking sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. False teacher, false prophet. Jesus isn't the only one to talk about this. Look at Galatians chapter six, chapter one rather, verse six. Paul is speaking to a young church in Galatia. People that he left as believers. He goes around and he comes back. He says this, I'm astonished, which is to say, I can't believe this. I'm flabbergasted. When's the last time you used that, that word, by the way? Flabbergasted. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a, what's that say, church? A different gospel. I'm astonished that you are turning to a different, you, he's, in essence, he's coming to a church and saying, church, what it, you know better than what you're doing. You sold out. You're selling out to a different gospel. Then he says this in verse seven. Not that there is another different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be anathema. That's the Greek word there, accursed. Accursed isn't even a great translation. The word anathema, anathema means eternally damned. Paul is coming on strong. He's coming, on, he's coming in hot here, okay? He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach, by the way, this is a great verse to share with your Mormon friends. He says, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be eternally damned. This is strong language, strong. In fact, you're like, well, maybe he didn't mean it that strong. Well, Paul doesn't often repeat himself, but in this case, he does in the next verse. As we've said before, let me just say it again, guys. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If, I'm, if I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. How many of you know that's the truth? If I'm trying to please the people in my life, Man, clearly, I'm not, I'm, the best way to go about it is probably not by not you know, following Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so he's coming to them saying, I don't care who came to you with a different gospel, whether it's me or you had an angel come to you. You say, well, what was the, what was the gospel he preached before? Simple. Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again. Paul, in essence, is saying this. If anybody is adding anything to that gospel, may he be accursed. If anybody is taking away from that gospel, may they be anathema. May they be totally just put out as they are, called out as a false prophet. Now, Jesus starts by saying that wide is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate and the way is hard for those who seek life and few are those who find it. Church, let me just say that again. Few are those who find it. He then goes on to tell us that there will be people who come into our church, people who come into our congregations and preach, who look good, who sound good, but they are not in fact teachers or preachers of the gospel. Rather, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And so when we hear the words of Jesus and when we read the words of Paul, is it any wonder that today the gospel that is the most popular, 
the messages that are the most listened to, the Christian videos that are the most watched, the podcasts that are the most downloaded, and the gospel that is the fastest growing form of evangelicalism is a gospel centered around God wanting you happy, wanting you healthy, wanting you wealthy and prosperous. Church, I ask you, is it any wonder at all? It's the American gospel. And in the end, it is nothing more than a gospel of accommodation. And I call it the gospel of accommodation because it's adapting and adjusting its message to appease and attract people to the gospel. You understand that, right? This American gospel, this, this attraction, this uh, accommodating gospel is truly primarily an, an American cultural invention. I don't know if you know that or not, but it's invented to ease our lifestyle, and it's born out of a desire to have, get this now, it's born out of a desire to have God come alongside me in my pursuits. It's born along the fact that here is the God who can do anything, supreme in all things, just, but also loves me more than anything. He loves me so much that he hates it when I don't have money in the bank. He loves me so much that he doesn't like it when I have the flu. And he likes it so, he loves me so much that he actually like steps off his podium sometimes and allows me to get up on the throne and determine my life. That's the American gospel, that I can dictate God. If I have enough faith, if I pray the right words, give the most money, give enough money, I'm allowed to do that. He comes alongside me in my pursuit of prosperity and wealth. It's a non-confrontational gospel adapted to engage culture on the basis of culture and morality, not, 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 not engaging culture and morality on the basis of scripture. This American gospel is trying to engage culture on the basis of culture. That doesn't even make sense. It's a different gospel. It sounds good. It sounds spiritual in its goals. And it sounds like Jesus is the central theme. And once again, I'm, I'm not here. The series is not to name names or talk about churches or throw people under the bus because I'm not talking about the character of these preachers. I'm talking about the content of their gospel. That's what I'm talking about. So you can come up, and I've, heard, I've had people, hey, what about this guy? What about this? I don't care about the preacher. I care about the context of what they're preaching. My desire is that God would break their heart, that they would lean into repentance, and that God would use them to reach our nation for Jesus Christ. That's the goal. We're not demonizing people, but we are demonizing an American gospel that will lead people to a place that is not heaven. Okay? You understand that? leads people to destruction. I would remind you, the apostle Paul warned of the coming of another gospel. <laughs> Get that. He says, there is coming another gospel, which we have not preached to you. He said, there's, there's coming another gospel that's, that's going to preach another Jesus. You'll hear his name and it'll sound sweet, but it's not the Jesus that I've preached. It's not the God that I've preached, Paul said. It's not the true Jesus. Paul says, I'm flabbergasted, I'm astonished, I'm shocked, I, you blow me away. I'm shocked that people would be so removed from God, so removed from him that, that called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel. Church, I, I, don't, I don't know that I share Paul's astonishment today. 
And I don't know that you do either, but maybe we should. Because right now, right now, in this land, right now, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people sitting under a different gospel right now, being preached over them. A different gospel is being preached with a different Jesus being proclaimed, being preached by ministers who have either lost sight of the true gospel of Christ or have never experienced the true gospel themselves. Paul goes on to warn the church in saying that it's not really another gospel, it's just a perversion of the original gospel. He says they're going to change the gospel. Church, are you here this morning? He says they're gonna change the gospel. They're going to accommodate the lost. They're going to accommodate their pleasure. They're going to accommodate, make accommodations for all their needs and all their wants. They're going to design a gospel that fits their version of Jesus, that fits their version of doctrine and church. I ask you, are we not in these days? Do we not find ourselves here now? And we don't like to talk about this because we don't like to make ripples. We don't like to ruffle feathers. But Paul says, let them be accursed. And yet we're like, I know I don't, I don't like all the book, but some of it's really good. Well, you really got to get around some of that sermon, but at the core, there's a good message. <laughs> Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached previously, let them be accursed. In verse 9, he repeats it. Folks, listen to me today. Listen to me as clearly as you can. If anyone preaches a different gospel to you than the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, do not flirt with it, do not play with it, do not return to it, do not stream it, do not share it, do not podcast it, do not read it. What you do is you turn and run the other way because it is not that a false gospel has the power to save you, it's that a false gospel has the power to seduce you. A false gospel has the power to deceive you. And that's why Jesus says this. It's a difficult teaching. He's like, man, listen, I know you think they're good, but they're ravenous wolves. Every Sunday night, my family and I, we watch National Geographic, order some pizza, eat some salad. And we watch, <laughs> and we watch a couple weeks ago, we watched this special on wolves. I, don't, I mean, like, I think wolves are great. I don't think I've ever seen a pack of, like, ravenous wolves until I saw this, this video that we watched. And uh, there was a part where one of my kids, Asher, kind of turned away, kind of made him sad, you know. Because what had happened was this group of wolves in the Arctic, they had come upon an elk and they had surrounded. These wolves hadn't eaten forever, for a long time. And there's this big elk and these things attacked the elk. And I like to say that they killed it really quickly, but that was the problem. They didn't. The wolves started eating the elk before the elk was dead. Why? Well, because they're wolves? No, because they were ravenous wolves. They didn't wait till the thing was dead to gut it. They just started eating it while it was alive. And here's this, here's this elk crying out, screaming, realizing, oh my gosh, I am being eaten alive. And I wonder, church, today, 
Have we become a church? Have we become a nation that's being gutted from the inside out with people that look like they're good, people that sound like they're good, sound intelligent, look very kind, look very nice, but they're actually wolves in sheep's clothing? Jesus says, beware of them. Beware of them. He says, the only way to determine if it is indeed a false prophet, if it is indeed a wolf in sheep's clothing, is by looking at the fruit. And by the way, this is where we get this so wrong. Because for most of us, predominantly, if, you, if, you, if you've been raised in church, you've been reading scripture, when I talk about fruit, you, you probably think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and so on. How are those fruits demonstrated in our life? Those are demonstrated by our works. So you can say like, wow, I'm really seeing fruit in your life. What are you talking about? I'm talking about your works. You seem so much more loving. The Holy Spirit's working through me. You seem so more patient. By the way, don't ever pray for patience or God will give you 71 north. Um, <laughs> I think that might have been my fault. I'm sorry, guys. Um, yeah, so we notice the fruits in our life by our works. The problem is when Jesus talks about you'll know them by their fruit, he's not talking about their works. He's talking about their words. See, this is why it's so important to exegetically read Scripture. This is why it's so important to read Scripture in its context. You could think because, well, it says fruit here, that means works, that when Jesus is talking about fruit over here, it's talking about works. No, he's not. He's talking about their words. The fruit is their words. You say, well, what does that mean? It's not their works. If it were their works and how they acted, then Jesus wouldn't have compared these ravenous wolves to wolves that have on sheep's clothing. Notice. What is the sheep's clothing doing? You don't notice that it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Why? Because it works the same way a sheep works. It baas when a sheep baas. It has fur like a, like a lamb has fur. You know what I mean? It looks docile. It looks gentle. It looks kind. It's only after it has you in its clutches that you realize, oh man, this is a wolf. And so Jesus is saying here, you don't spot a false prophet by their works, you spot them by their words, which is what Paul says in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should what? Preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we what? Preach to you before, let him be accursed. Words, not works. Words, not works. When it comes to your life, the fruit should be works. But when it comes to finding a false prophet or calling one out, their fruits equal words. Do you understand? Words, not works. Now, this is a big problem. You're like, why, Travis? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Big problem. Boils down to this. It's because we, by and large, live in a day and time where God's church, where the church of Jesus is completely and utterly biblically illiterate. That's a problem on a number of levels. We don't know God's, not, we don't know God's word. We don't know God's words. We might know a few teachings from Jesus, a couple of verses sound familiar from Paul's writings, and we probably know the story about Noah, maybe the one about the guy that killed a Goliath, killed, killed a giant. We know those. But by and large, we are vastly biblically illiterate. And, and, and so if the only way to know that what someone is teaching is false is by knowing God's word, we've got a problem. 
Do you see that, church? No wonder. It's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. We let them in because they look good, because they sound good. Whoa, I'll tell you, he looks good. He sounds good. Must be good. Must be gospel. Well, I don't really think anybody would probably intentionally want to take advantage of somebody, Pastor Travis. Ravenous wolves. Jesus is not mincing words. Paul is not mincing words. This is, listen to me, church, a big deal. A big deal. In fact, Jesus talking about these false prophets elsewhere in Matthew 24, he says that there will be a great, in the end days, there will be a great falling away of my church. There's going to be a great falling away. He says, many people being led astray. And so compelling will this teaching be that if possible, it will even confuse the elect. What is he talking about, the elect? We could go into that for a long time, but to summarize it, it's people who know better. That's what it is. People who Ephesians referred to as counted before, called before the very foundations of time were ever laid, very foundations of the earth were laid. I knew you and called you by name, the elect. God's saying even those could be confused by this. Church, we must know what we believe. We must know why we believe what we believe. And we must know where to go to confirm what we believe what we believe. We must know why scripture is so important. We must be saturated with the word of God. We must be meditating on the words of God. We must be reading scripture, quoting scripture, memorizing scripture, teaching scripture, discussing scripture, talking about scripture with our wife, with our, with our husband, with our children. We need to be filled with God's words, if nothing more than to point out when someone is not. Amen. We must. I know that the excuse forever, it's like, well, I'm just too busy. We are losing entire populations of people to false teaching because we're too busy with soccer to know God's word. You're like, that touched home. Okay, we're too busy with baseball to know God's word. We're too busy with Fortnite to know God's word. We're too busy with our workplace to know God's word. We're too busy with, I mean, just fill in the blank. I'll step on everybody's toes. We all got them. We're just too busy. We're just too busy to know God's word. And so scripture says there's gonna be a great falling away. I shudder to think that the enemy of God can come right into our churches disguised as an angel of light, preach a false gospel of righteousness, and we don't even realize it because it sounds good, it looks good, smells good, sounds good, so must be good. Paul says they're going to come in and glory in their flesh. They're going to come and glory in their might. They're going to glory in their money. They're going to glory in their bigness of numbers. They're going to, he's talking about church folk here. You get that, right? Okay. 
They're going to glory in the fact that they are so contemporary, so relevant. Glory in the fact that their acceptance by the world is great in reaching people that no one else apparently can reach. Jesus says they will come to you like wolves and sheep's clothing, sincere, intelligent, and bright, but inwardly they are ravening wolves, preaching a gospel of accommodation which has no power to save. And we think that we know God because we show up to a church. We think we know God because he seemingly blesses our endeavors. But in the end, we have bought hook, line, and sinker, a gospel of accommodation. And Jesus says, in his context of the sermon, he says, narrow is the way. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And few are those who find it. But wide is the gate that leads to destruction. False preachers, false preachers, false prophets, false teachers, false evangelists, they're going to come saying this. Are you listening? The way is not that narrow because our God is that big. You know what I found? The path is not that straight because our God is truly that understanding. The, wide, the, the gate is wider than you could ever imagine. Because our God is love. See, it's not a different gospel. It's just a perversion of the original gospel. You're right in saying that God is gracious. You're right in saying that God is love. You're right in in saying that God is holy. But you have misunderstood who he truly is and what the gospel truly says. See, the cross in its immediate context, does not just stand for the fact that that salvation has come to the world. You understand that? The cross stands for the fact that God hates sin and a payment must be made. So no matter how much God loves you, if your sin is not paid for, you will not be justified before a holy God. And there is not enough Good preaching, good will, moral living, money that can do anything about that. Which is why God sent Christ. Because there is nothing we can do to get to God apart going, from going through him. Jesus says in John 14, 6, listen, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. Is there moral living in Buddhism? Yes. Is there wonderful living in Mormonism? Yes. Are there wonderful people who are Hindu? Yes. Is Jesus the only way to God? Yes. Yes. What does that mean for us as a church? It means that this is not a place that we come to and and become pious and talk about how great we are and this knowledge that we have. I did not do anything to earn this truth. I did not do anything to earn this grace. It has been given to us freely through the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now that I have it, I must go. Now that I have it, I must tell. Now that I have it, I must go into all the world and preach the word of God. Now that you have it, we must make disciples. The problem is we've lost an understanding of what the church is ah, I got I got to finish today. Let me finish this. We have dumbed down the gospel of Christ, and because we've dumbed it down, have begun using carnal means to attract carnal men and women. And because many places have attracted carnal men and women, you say, what does that mean? It means this: we've used entertainment to uh, entertain people and attract people to our churches. 
The problem is, like, whatever you entertain somebody with to get them here, you got to keep upping the entertainment, right? So that's what we're trying to do. And so what has happened is that in these large churches, medium churches, small churches, I don't care, in these churches, many are just filled with unconverted people. They're not converted to Christ. They're just being entertained. You see that? They're just being entertained by potentially carnal things. And so churches are filled with with unconverted people. But also, hear me now, in those churches, we also have these small pockets of people who just honestly want Jesus. And the teaching really might be American gospel-centered, but there's still just these small remnant of people in these churches that just want Jesus. They don't, they don't care about your sound. They don't, they don't care about your lights. They don't care about if you rap or do hymns. They, they just want Jesus. They just want to pray. They, they just want to know God's word and what it says pertaining to their lives. They just want to live it out. But the failure of the American gospel, the American church has been that a pastor will look at those people and say, they're good, and go to the rest and put all the money, all the time, all the energy into entertaining, entertaining, come back, come back, come back. And what happens is God's sheep are starving and malnourished and overlooked because we'd rather entertain masses than disciple a few. That is the failure of the American pastor. That is the failure of the American church. And there will come a day where there will be an accountability session. And they will stand up and they will say, but I did many great works in your name. I cast out demons. Jesus, I started a church in your name. Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I've never known you. This is the basis of the American gospel. You say, why are we, ultimately, Travis, why are we talking about this? I'll tell you why. Let me tell you a story. I'll close with this. I want you to imagine my wife. I love her very much. But imagine Vanessa one evening goes out to get groceries. And you see her. You're in the parking lot and you see her a ways off and you're going to go over and say hi. Hi, Mrs. Davenport. And you see a group of men come out and assault her, attack her. And you're, you're scared. But because you're scared, you don't know what to do. You just kind of back away. And you allow my wife to be assaulted and brutalized. Difficult to talk about. The fact of the matter is, when I found out about that, I, I would go looking for the people that assaulted my wife. But I would also come and knock on your door because you did nothing to help my bride. Because you stood by idly and, and let people assault her and beat on her and marginalize her. Church, Christian, I want you to know that scripture compares the church to the bride of Christ. And one day, Jesus, it says, the groom will return for his bride. We cannot stand idly by watching his bride be marginalized, watching his bride be assaulted, 
watching his bride be put up and beat down, beat up and put down. We cannot allow that. I know you don't want to rustle feathers. I know you don't want to create ripples, but we must stand for something because if we stand, if we don't stand for the gospel, we don't stand for anything. We must stand for this. My heart is for you. I pray for you. I love you. But there will come a day, and if we are not there now, we are very soon approaching the day when there will be a great falling away. I do not long for that day. I do not look towards that day. I'm not excited about that day, but that day will come. Where will you find yourself? Where? The takeaway is this. Submerge yourself in the word of God. Learn about him. Fall in love with him day after day after day so that you can judge. Yes, judge. If what is coming to you is the true gospel or just the American gospel. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.